Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter, chapter 3. We're thinking about baptism this morning and um, praising God for what he's doing in young people's lives. And This message is for, of course, for Ryan and Benjamin and Savannah and Clarissa, but it's for all of us, for everyone that's here. And I trust that God will use his word to speak to us this morning. Sometimes we have services that we have every year, or maybe more than that, and you wonder now, what did someone share last year, the year before, or what did I share? And, and then you just go to the Lord and say, well, what do you want this year? And you kind of forget about that and, and go on with that. And the Lord seemed to lay this passage, my heart this morning, from First Peter chapter 3. And I'm going to read, starting at verse 10, all the way through... Uh, verse 5 of chapter 4, and we'll come back and look at those more closely. Starting at verse 10 of 1 Peter 3, it says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile or deceit. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and the ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that, whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ." For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, For he that suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, and he no longer shall live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the the time past our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? Well, I would say that there are people today, probably somewhere in the world, being baptized that know that it may be one of the last things that they do before they are persecuted or even killed for their faith. This passage talks about suffering. 
I don't think any of you are expecting to be persecuted this week or killed for your faith because you have chosen to be baptized. But there are people in the world that that's, that's just the state of the affairs. Baptism is almost a death sentence to some people. And our Anabaptist uh, forefathers, for many of them, that was the way it was. If they chose to be baptized as believing adults, then they could assume that it was quite likely that they would suffer great persecution and quite likely be killed for their faith. But I don't want to just talk about suffering this morning, but I I do want to, to take a look at that in the context here that we're looking at these other scriptures and see uh, regarding the verses down here where it talks about being saved by baptism and comparing it to Noah and his being saved by water and so forth. So I don't think we have to, it says we don't have to fear suffering. Uh, in verse 14 it says uh, we don't have to, to, to fear that, but rather to be uh, happy and joyous if God calls us to suffer for his name. And that seems kind of hard for us. It goes against our flesh. None of us really want to suffer physically or even uh, maybe emotionally being taken away from family or friends. We don't want that. But that has been in all reality the, the, the cost of Christianity throughout history for most people. We live in a very short period of time in a very small part of the world where being a Christian and actually living out Christianity uh, actually, putting it into your life and living it out has, doesn't cause suffering. But in this, it says we don't have to fear this. And God gives us strength for those times. In verse 15, I'd like to notice there it says, and we'll compare this down a little bit later to Noah, it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What does it mean to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts? Well, first of all, to sanctify something is to it's very close, the word there, and the Greek's very close to the idea of holiness, separation, uh, set aside for a special purpose. And so, as we think about sanctifying the Lord God in our hearts, it is to, to make a special place for God in our hearts, to set Him aside, to, to look at God in our hearts as being holy and righteous and, and just uh, all the attributes you can think about God in our hearts, not just uh, in our words, not just what we say we believe, but have you, have each of us here this morning that call ourselves Christians, truly sanctified God in our hearts, set Him aside for a special place and a special purpose. Too often, and it's so easy to do in our lives, we get caught up in the things of this world, we get caught up in our daily work, our daily activities, our whatever, uh, maybe raising our families and so forth, and we we begin to set ourselves and our own agenda higher than we do God in our hearts. And when we do that, it always gets us in trouble. At least it does me. And so we have to come back to the idea of sanctifying the Lord God in our hearts. And not just in our words, but in our hearts, in our very being. We want God to be set aside and reverenced in our hearts, in our daily walk. And Again, that's easier for me to stand up here and preach it to you than to, on a daily basis, live that out. And always remember, God is first. God is set aside. God is sanctified in our hearts. And then it says, to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks the reason for our hope that is in you. And with meekness and fear or with respect, someone asks us, what is the reason? Why are you a Christian? 
Would you be ready? Now, we're going to ask each of you to share your testimonies here in a little while. And you're going to have an opportunity to do that. It's an opportunity to share your testimony with these here, these folks that are here. As far as I know, there's no one here that's going to rise up and challenge your testimony here. But in our, what I would call, our post-Christian culture and society, there are a lot of people that would challenge you greatly on your faith or ask you, why would you believe such a thing? Why would you believe in Christianity? And we can give answers that are, you know, Sometimes we can say, well, you know, that's how I was raised, or um, that's how I was taught, or church I go to, that's what we believe. And, but if they really ask you why, what, what is it about your faith in Jesus Christ? Why do you place your faith in Jesus Christ? Would you have an answer? And I realize that as we grow in our, in our faith and as we get older, we, we study more, we understand more, but... This morning, your opportunity to share your testimony is maybe a little bit of a, of a primer for when someone comes and asks you of your faith. This word here, to give an answer, the, the Greek would be there, it's an apologia. It's to give a verbal, reasoned defense for why you believe something. And Paul talked about that when later when he writes Timothy in his second letter there, and he says that my first answer, no one stood with me. He uses the same word. Likely what he was saying was the first time that I had to stand before uh, possibly Nero or someone there in judgment, my first time that I gave my verbal defense, my reasoned verbal defense for why I believe I was alone when I did it. And often you will be as well. You won't always have someone you can ask. Now, always remember this, that God gives us words to share when we don't always know what to share. Don't feel like you have to, or any of us, have to build this whole um, defense in our minds that, boy, if anybody ever asks me, these are all the answers I'm going to give. Because about the time we do that, halfway through, somebody's going to say, yeah, but what about this? And you're going to say, oh, wait, I haven't rehearsed that one. But if you truly know and understand why you believe and understand the Scriptures, God can use those things and bring them to your minds to share the gospel with other people. And it says to do it with meekness and what I would say is fear of respect. We don't do it in some demeaning way to others, but we do it out of respect to others. So that is one of the things that can help us in our Christian life is to be ready to give an answer for why we believe what we believe. And it has to be in our hearts. If we sanctify God in our hearts, we can do that. And then in verse 16 it says, having a clear conscience. And we'll talk about that just a little bit more later. Let's jump down then to verse 20, where it says, uh, Which sometime were disobedient when the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Now, how were eight souls saved by water? They weren't in the water. They weren't, it wasn't as though everyone was in the water and those eight were saved. They were in the water, but they were in something that God prepared for them. And how were eight souls saved by water? But the scriptures would bring out that 
all the other souls perished. By what? By water. The same water. Turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17. And this is a passage where the Apostle Paul is on Mars Hill, as we would call it. And he's preaching to them. He's talking to them about their idolatry and their uh, worshiping all these other gods and so forth. And in that, in verse 30, he says, talking about a lot of this idolatry and so forth, he says, At the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he hath appointed in the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he had raised him from the dead. So Jesus Christ is the judge of all men. And God proved that by the fact that he raised him from the dead. First person that God had ever raised from the dead that would never die again. Now, Enoch was taken, uh, but this is the first person. God raised Jesus from the dead, uh, to sent it to the Father, and is there interceding for us today. He said, he is the judge, but he is also the Savior. And so, in a sense, the water that saved those eight souls back there at the flood was also the water that caused the others to perish. The same thing is with Jesus Christ, the righteous judge. There will be those that he condemns through his judgment and says, No, I never knew you. I never knew this person. I never knew that person. And those people will perish for eternity. But the same righteous judge is also the same righteous Savior that will say, Yes, I did know you. You have done well and and you believed in me. Come, enter into the joy of the Lord forever. So the same Savior will be the judge. The same Savior will be indeed that, the Savior of mankind. Let's go back to Genesis. And I'd like for us to see some things here as we think about uh, Noah and the flood and being saved by water and Was that all there was to it? Let's go to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. The first thing we'll notice here is in verses 8 and 9. It says, and this is after God said it repented him that he had made man because man was, had turned so wicked. In verse 8 it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There is no one that will ever please God outside of his saving grace. His grace is, is first and foremost But in verse 9 it says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. Remember back here as we looked in the passage in 1 Peter, it says that we are to sanctify God in our hearts. And we are to walk with Him basically. We are to give Him first place. So Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but it says that Noah walked with God. 
You don't walk with someone in the sense of what the Scripture is talking about here if you don't give that person first place. I mean, he walked with God because he respected God, he honored God, he served God, he loved God. And so he walked with God, it says. So those things uh, were first. God did not save Noah by water out of just, oh, I like these guys, I think I'll save them. No, they found grace. But Noah walked with God. And because Noah walked with God, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. <clears throat> he sanctified him in his heart. Let's jump down to verse 22, because now God gives him instructions. And maybe we'll read that first. Let's, let's read verses 14, 11 through 14 there. The earth was corrupt before God, and earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, and all, for all flesh corrupted in his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence uh, through them. And behold, I will destroy them in, with the earth. Make thee an ark. And then you could go on, and he starts telling all the directions. <clears throat> Excuse me. Make thee an ark. And he gives him directions of how to do all of this. So God gives him a commandment. So keep this in mind. First of all, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It was because of God's grace. But secondly, uh, he walked with God. Thirdly, God gives him a commandment. And it says in verse 22 of chapter 6, And thus did Noah according to all that God had commanded him, so did he. There was obedience. Do you see the connections there? Of course, there's grace. There always is grace. Without God's grace, we're all lost. We're all, there is no hope for any of us outside of God's grace. But then there was this idea of sanctifying God in his heart. God, Noah walked with God. And then God gave him a commandment. And he did what God told him. He says God, he did everything that he was told to do. Now, let's back up a little bit. Suppose that we would say the scriptures here that Noah was a man that walked with God. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord here. And then Noah was told by God, I want you to build an ark for the saving of your family and for the, uh, the animals so far. I want you to build this ark. And so God gives him a commandment. This is what you need to do. And then Noah would have said, well, you know what? That just doesn't seem very necessary. That seems a little ridiculous. It's never rain. Build a boat. I'm not sure. I, I don't know that I would believe this. I, I, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to follow through and believe it. Um, it just doesn't make sense to me. But if you look at verse, chapter 7, verse 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou with all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. He was obedient to what God had asked him to do. And if you turn with me uh, to Hebrews, and while you're turning to Hebrews, I might remind you that after, after Noah had built the ark, and after God had saved him through that, you'll see there in Genesis that Noah built an altar and worshipped the Lord. He didn't forget to worship the Lord. And I might just add that, as we think about God's grace in our lives, as we think about 
walking with God and sanctifying the Lord God in our hearts. And we think about the idea of following through with obedience and His grace and so forth. If we don't take time to worship for all that He has done for us, we don't take time to worship Him, I think we'll soon lose out. Now, was Noah a perfect man? Read his whole story, and you'll see he failed. He, he made some mistakes. But God's grace was with him, and I believe in his heart he wanted to walk with God, and he continued to walk with God. So in Hebrews chapter 11, I'd like to read two verses there. We'll read verse 6 and 7. But without faith it is impossible to please him, or to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. There's no point in going to God if we don't believe that God exists. That would be pointless. We must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That diligently seek him. Not just say, I'd like to find God sometime. But are you willing to diligently seek him? And then it says, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of the things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. You look in this chapter and you can see it's over and over and over. By faith, by faith, by faith. People do things by faith. Uh, again, I, I shared that we need to have a reasoned verbal defense for what we do. Faith is not the idea that we just jump into something blindly with no reason for it. Noah had good reason to do why he, what he did, but he still placed his faith in God because God told him to do something that made no sense, and he went ahead and did it. If we go back to 1 Peter, the passage where we're at, 1 Peter chapter 3, even the idea of baptism, does it really make, shall we say, sense to us? Does, it really, does, does baptism really make sense? It says in this passage that baptism, um, it says that uh, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. It says that parenthetically in verse 21. That's not what saves us. It's not as though uh, we're going to take people out and, and, get, and wash their sins away with water, scrub them up good enough to get the sins off of you. If, if you think you can do that, uh, you're, you're dead wrong. You can't. There's not enough water in the world to take away one sin. And yet God said, repent and be baptized. It's a commandment of God. It, is, it shows what God has done inwardly as we do it outwardly. It's not putting that away. And so we might say, well, is it really important? Do I really need to be baptized? I've already accepted Christ as my Lord and my Savior, and, and He's washed me clean for, with, his, with His shed blood. Do I really? God asks us to do it. God doesn't ask us to do it. He tells us to do it, if at all possible. I realize there are people who may um, give their life to the Lord at the last moment and, and do not have opportunity. And God understands that. God's grace is sufficient for that. But God says to repent and be baptized, and, and I believe it must be in that order that we repent of our sins and we're baptized and we place our faith in Jesus Christ. It says here then uh, that this idea of being saved, it says, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, is on the right hand of God, and everything in heaven and on earth subject to him and will be. 
in Romans, it says this, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into, Christ, into Jesus Christ were baptized unto his death? Therefore we are buried with him by bapti- baptism into death, that as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And that can be more challenging than that passage maybe sounds. But the fact is, in order to cease from sin, we have to reckon ourselves to have been crucified with him, dead to sin, and raised with him. Raised with him. So baptism today is somewhat of a symbol of that, too, that we, as we're baptized, we think about the fact that we crucify the old man and the new man, we walk in newness of life. Going now to chapter 4 of 1 Peter, those first five verses, it says, <clears throat> For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, For he that suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. We can recognize the fact that we can now, as Christians, we can cease from sin. It doesn't mean we never sin, we never fail, we never fall short. Uh, That is just, I haven't found the first person yet that that is where they're at in life. And if they tell you that, that they they, they never fail, they never sin, they never do anything wrong now that they're a Christian. Um, I want to watch them for a while. I want to see this. And I wish I could read their mind as well, because I I doubt they're quite where they're at. But the idea of living in sin, uh, that's our normal thing of just living in sin with no care about it and no desire to change is not how Christians do. Even when we fail, we fall, we fall short. Uh, We feel badly about it, we confess, and we, we know it's wrong and we want to walk with God. That's the heart of the believer. And it goes on and talks about some of the things here. So it lists some things in these verses. But then again in verse 5 it says, Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? We will all give an account, but we can do it knowing that our sins are forgiven. We can give an account with our sins forgiven. The Bible talks about some men's sins go before to the judgment and some men's follow after. And if our heart and our goal and our desire is to serve the Lord... Uh, I believe God knows that, and he knows our hearts, even when we fail. Uh, But we can be forgiven. Jesus is loving, he's long-suffering, he's forgiving, but we don't just continue in sin and take advantage of those uh, attributes of God. We don't do that. So I want to just encourage you, uh, as young people and everyone that's here, let's, let's remember that God has saved us by his grace. Uh, through our faith, we place our faith in Him, and He has saved us by that. But He wants us to sanctify God in our hearts, put God first place always, and to walk with Him, and then to obey Him and to obey His Word. We can say we have put God at first place, and then we choose to just disobey His Word, and that's just our, just, we, we don't pay attention. We say, oh, what's well, not important. The Word of God isn't important because I'm saved by grace, and so it doesn't matter. Yes, it does matter. Noah would not have been saved by an ark that he wouldn't have built. God made it available. God gave him directions. God gave him how to do it. And God told him to go into it. And God shut the door in it. 
And God has made an ark for us. It's Jesus Christ and his word, and he's told us how to live for him. But remember, it's his grace and our faith in that that has saved us. And then this baptism today um, shows that we are willing to obey him, and we want the world to know that we have been saved, and we want to bless you in that. So I would just encourage you young people as you go through your Christian walk, be willing to witness to others. Be willing to give an answer when people ask you. And ask God for the words to share as people ask you. Uh, Be a witnessing, um, sharing of the gospel Christian.